Good morning. My name is Ryan Palmer. I'm the Director of Family Ministries here at Chapel Hill. The consistent phrase I hear as a parent is that it goes by fast, and how true that is. My oldest son just finished kindergarten. My daughter is about to start preschool in the fall, and my newborn isn't a newborn anymore. He's six months old. He's rolling around, and yesterday, as of yesterday, was saying, Dada. Now, not only did I just win in that moment, this morning it was confirmed that it wasn't like a rogue sound coming together. He looked to me right in the face right when he was up and said, Dada. And I said, yes, it's affirmed. I have won. I mean, I mean I'm just so proud that my son is talking. <laughs> of course, Mama is coming next. Now, I know all of you parents and grandparents here and parents who just watched your own kid or kids graduate this year, you know what I'm talking about. You can relate to that feeling of how fast it goes. Now, this year's graduates, they were a special group for me because they were in seventh grade when I first interviewed here at Chapel Hill to be the middle school director. And I remember they asked me to lead a group, the seventh grade boys. And so a volunteer led me into a room, and as he was closing the door behind me, he says, good luck. (laughs) And somehow I thought, this is probably the true test on whether or not they're going to offer me this job. And it worked out well. But here we are, six years later, and I couldn't be more proud of the group of students that I've gotten to see mature in that time. Some who were off causing trouble only six years ago are now up front leading us in worship. And here they are. (laughs) And now you guys are young men and women who have taken ownership of your faith and are ready to head into the world as adults. And who knows? My hope is someday that some of you will come back to be an intern for us. You see, every summer we have in our student ministries department a summer internship where someone comes and they work alongside us and they get to see the reality of what we do. A lot of times they're like, all right, so what games are we playing? And I just laugh. There's so much more. As you heard from Eric Anderson a few weeks ago, as he said, he got to see the reality of what happens behind the scenes. And so we have this internship program. And to me, it's just another way that I see Chapel Hill raising up and releasing leaders. And so I'm very grateful they allow us to do that. Now, as I've reflected back over my family and and the students and even our internship program, man, God has really stirred this passion that I have, and that is the call to raise up the next generation of leaders. But it also has a lot to do with all of you here this morning. It also has a lot to do with marbles, but we'll get to that in a moment. First, we're going to get into the scripture this morning, which is Deuteronomy 6. To give you a little context, this is what is happening Moses stood before the people of Israel as they prepared to head into the promised land that God had promised to give them. And it was his challenge to them as a nation and as households to be a people who follows and honors God. So follow along as I read for you Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. These are the commands... Decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you were crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. 
Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God your fathers, promised you. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them down on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. It doesn't take much to see the heart of raising up the next generation in this passage. But there are two verses in this passage that are extremely significant to us this morning. And that is Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. And I'll read it again for you. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These two verses were such a big deal that they were given a name. And that name was the Shema. Where did it come from? Thank you for asking. (laughs) The answer is found in in the beginning of verse 4. The first word in that verse is Shema, which is the Hebrew word that is translated to hear or to listen, depending on your translation. But I wanted to pause on this for a second, because oftentimes when we hear the word hear, we think, oh, it's just sound entering our ears and registering as noise. But the word Shema is much more than that. You see, fully understood to Shema is to listen to, to pay attention to, and to respond to. And here's why I pause for a moment. Because Moses, starting with the word Shema, he's saying, listen, Israel. Pay attention to this. The Lord is God. He is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. So Israel, because you are paying attention to this, respond by loving God with all that you are. So if we can grab a hold of this this morning, this one thing, which is to listen but to to actually listen with a response, to listen in the way that we are Shema. Now let's see how this applies to the next generation. See, the call of Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9 is not only to personally live out the Shema, but it's also to pass it along to the next generation. And this becomes very clear in the immediate instructions that follow the Shema that Moses gives. See, in verse 6, it says, These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Now, the heart in that time was understood as where you reasoned, where you thought. Everything that you did centered in your heart. So the heart was the encompassing thing of your entire being. And so the commandments that were upon our hearts were to be lived out with the entirety of our lives. And then in verse 7, he says, Impress them on your children. The Shema was never meant to be for one generation alone. The purpose of God giving these commandments was always so that it would pass along to the next generation. Moses continues to go deeper in his instruction. In the second half of verse 7, he says, Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. 
I love this because I can lie down all day long. That's great. That's my favorite way to pass this on to my children. My wife jokes that, that somehow daddy has, is either a genius or he just goes rogue because the, my kid's favorite game to play with me is nap time. And so I'll lay on the couch and they'll bring me a pillow and a blanket and they're just like, shh, mom, mom, daddy's trying to nap. And she's just like, what? But whenever she tries, oh no, mom, I need water, I need this, I need food, I need this. And she's like, but your father's playing nap right now. Like, there's another parent in the room. But it's more than that. What Moses is saying is that this needs to happen all day long. At every part of the day, we need to be living out the Shema. Now check out the wind words here. It says, when you sit, walk, lie down, get up. So he's saying in every setting, we need to be living this out. It's at home and along the road. This needs to be the highest priority. And that's what he's getting at in verse 8 with this picture of having symbols on your hands and bound to your foreheads. And finally, he's saying that it needs to happen while, while these children are still under our roof. And that's what he's getting at in verse 9 when he highlights our houses and our gates. Now, this is a little less inferred in this particular passage, but this principle is laced all throughout Scripture, probably not more so than in Proverbs 22, verse 6, where it says, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not part from it. And a lot of us, this is probably a very familiar verse. Many of you probably have this verse actually up in a bedroom or in a bathroom. And the truth is we we love to hold this verse as a promise But the reality is we should take it more as if it was our call or our commandment. That we are commanded to train a child in the way they should go so that when they are old, they will not part from it. Which finally brings me back to marbles. Or in this case, pom-pom craft balls. And there's a reason for that. Because marbles are the one thing that when rubbed together... They just are the worst sound in the world to me. And even right now, I'm trying not to get goosebumps just thinking about it. And I say that with vulnerability because it was pointed out last night, like, you just opened yourself up to a world of marble marble rubbing. And I'm like, please have mercy on me. Um, But the sound of marbles rubbing together was was really difficult for me, so I went with these. Um, But for the sake of the illustration, we are going to talk about them this morning as if they are marbles. So now, I'm sure for some of you, you've been distracted this morning by this jar. You've been staring at it, and you're like, what is that? And is it like one of those guess how many games? And I don't want to rob you. So this morning, if you've been thinking how many are in there, and just remember, they're smushed in good, I want to give you an opportunity. Go ahead and go to your neighbor and try to take a guess how many you think are in there. I'll give you a second. Okay. Feeling good? All right. Well, if any of you answered 936, because that's how many I I smushed into there, uh, you'd be correct. Unfortunately, you win absolutely nothing, and you probably should have saved that guess for a time when you could have won something. (laughs) But there is a purpose to this number, 936. Uh, It has a meaning when it comes to the next generation. You see, it's approximately 936 weeks from when a child is born until they graduate high school. So letting one of these marbles represent a single week, there are approximately 936 weeks between the time a child is born and until they graduate and receive a diploma. Now from that moment that little child entered the world, 
the countdown had begun. Now, I know that there's a limited number of newborns in here, so to help kind of draw this out a little more, uh, I'm going to be giving us a few more visuals that kind of mark different moments in this 936-week span. And the first one is this, kindergarten. When kindergarten starts, we are now down to 624 marbles. So kindergarten's begun, and now we have 624 weeks before high school graduation. Then we move on to sixth grade. In sixth grade, we now have 364 marbles. That's 364 hormonally charged marbles. (laughs) And as you can see... We're about two-thirds now done with with our weeks, and we are two-thirds away of of losing our marbles. And and if there's a parent, yeah, exactly. If there's a parent of any sixth grader, if you've been a parent of a sixth grader, you know all about losing your marbles. Then we come, as, as as they enter through the gates of high school into their freshman year, 208 weeks. And finally... As they come into their senior year, as all those juniors did a week ago, they are down to their last 52 weeks before graduation. And I know what some of you are thinking. Thanks for equally depressing me and freaking me out. (laughs) Which is how my wife feels every time one of my children says, I'm getting older or I'm in first grade now. And, you know, the other day as my son was heading off into his final week of kindergarten, my daughter looks up so proud, so excited, and now I'm going to be in preschool, and my wife just starts crying. Because for her, she's like, I can't hear it. No, she wants to savor every one of those moments. And, and it does. It feels like it's going fast because it is. But please know that this morning, neither of those emotions are, are my goal. What I hope to do is to to have us focus not just on the time we have left, but to focus on, on how we can use that time. You see, this idea of marbles, they actually, they didn't come from me. They come from the folks at Orange. Orange is an organization that focuses on the strategic partnership between church and families in raising up the next generation. Reggie Joyner, he's the CEO of Orange, says this when it comes to keeping track of your marbles. When you see how much time you have left, you tend to get serious about the time you have now. You see, we aren't counting down with dread. Instead, we're paying attention to the time that we have left. So that way we can be motivated to make the countdown count. Now, I want to pause for a second just to make sure we're all tracking with this. Because I recognize that not everyone in this room... Our parents, we have empty nesters, we have not yet parents, we have singles, we have those who are actually a part of this age group here with us. And so you might be thinking, well, this morning's kind of been a waste of my time. Wrong. And here's where you come in, and and I don't want you to miss this. You are essential to this. You are essential to passing on the Shema to the next generation. This is the responsibility of the church of the family and of the church. And I believe that the biblical model outlined in Deuteronomy and in other places, other places in Scripture show that the home is the primary place where discipleship should be happening. Yet the church family is here to work in partnership with the home. It really is a, a both and a situation. And we see partnerships when we see the partnership fully functioning as it should. It's a very beautiful thing. However, there are moments 
when the investment is not taking place in the home. In these moments, the church has an opportunity to not only play its normal role, but it also has the opportunity to come alongside a family as a spiritual mentor. And this is personal for me because this was my story. I grew up with a family that didn't know Jesus. We were an unchurched home. So discipleship, it wasn't happening for me. And we had a lot of brokenness amongst our family, a lot of hurt. The only times I walked into a church building was because of neighbors or friends or because it was a holiday. But beyond that, God was absent in our lives. It wasn't until a youth pastor whose name is Keith came and invited me to a summer camp very persistently. And so I went and accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I came back, and Keith didn't just stop at that point. He wasn't satisfied that I now knew who Jesus was and went to the next student. No, he began to mentor me, to invest in me, to give me opportunities to lead. One of the first things he did that fall was to say, hey, I want you to start a Bible study. And I said, what do you mean? I don't know this. And he says, it's easy. Open it up and read it and get your friends to sit and listen. And I was scared. But I was like, I'm going to trust God, and I did it. But Keith wasn't alone. He also found other men and women, other adults to come and invest in my life. They invested in my life financially to help me get to those summer camps and and winter camps and mission trips where God could continue to, to work in my life. It was because of a mission trip to Mexico that I had the opportunity to share with the church that afterwards someone came up to me and said, I think you're called to this. And in that moment, God revealed, hey, this is the calling I have for your life. And that only happened because of the people of the church who came alongside me and supported me. But Keith also supported my family, as did the church. And because of that, my family came to know who Jesus was and be baptized. And now here I am, years later, with my wife Allison. And now, because of the investment that was poured into my life, I get to raise my three kids in the way of the Shema. I get to invest in them in a way that I wouldn't have known how to do if it weren't for those people. So whether discipleship is happening in the home or not, it is important that spiritual development of the next generation happens and, and we can play that role. Now in the world of children and, children and youth ministries, there's this thing known as the five to one ratio. The idea is this, whether it's a weekly program, a retreat, a mission trip, you wanna have one adult leader present for every five kids. Now, the general thought is that this ratio gives good coverage to the kids and ensures that nothing gets burnt down. (laughs) Most of the time. Now, Chap Clark, whom some of you know, as he was a Gig Harbor native, uh, he was formerly the head of the youth and family program at Fuller Theological Seminary. He asked this question. He said, what if we flipped it? What if we were to seek to get five caring adults to invest in the spiritual journey of just one kid? Moms and dads, grandparents, what if we were able to confidently identify five individuals who could intentionally invest in the spiritual journey of our kids on every part of their journey? There are some great mentors in our community. We have people who love Jesus, who are coaches and teachers and 
and they serve in all these capacities. But the truth is, those roles are limited to what they can say and share about Jesus in those particular roles. But we as a church, we are a place where we can fully and unapologetically focus in on a kid's student's journey with Jesus. We have a rare opportunity, church, where we can come in and speak the truth of who God is into the lives of our children and our youth. So empty nester, single adult, married with no kids, upper class student, what if you were one of the five in this amazing crew of zero to 18 year olds? And this finally brings me to our zero to 18 crowd. First off, I just wanna say you guys are amazing. Thanks for not walking out this morning. (laughs) I love you guys. It has been a joy and an honor to serve with those of you who have gone through the children's and student ministries here at Chapel Hill. You've been a privilege to work with, and I've, it's been a joy to see you kind of grow into that relationship. But if I could offer you just one simple challenge this morning, it would be this. Be willing to be invested in. And I'll say it again. Be willing to be invested in. One of the things my youth pastor told me when I was an 18-year-old intern was, Ryan, the more that you are willing to learn from those who came before you, the more you will save yourself hurt and heartbreak. You'll be able to to live in a way that you prevent some of those things and, and stumbling blocks that I myself ran into. And so I took that and I adopted that principle and tried my best to say, how can I learn from those who came before me? And so students, I encourage you to do the same. Be willing to be invested in, to learn from those who've gone before you. Because the truth is that a willing heart is a game changer. And as I've walked with students over my years at this church and in ministry, the one thing I've noticed is that those students who seek out to surround themselves with those who care about their journey with Jesus, they're the ones who excel in their faith in the next phase of life. Because there's a lot of things you can seek after in this life. There'll be popularity, academic or athletic success, selfishness, sinful desires. But what if you sought to surround yourself with people who are going to help you learn to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength? Now, I don't know if you can tell, but this stuff gets me fired up. And I know I've covered a lot this morning, but I want to walk away this morning with this so what section of our gathering. First, I want to talk to every single one of us. Let's shema the shema, Chapel Hill. Every, let's be a church that does not just hear the call of God to love him with our being. Let's be a church who listens, pays attention to, and then responds to that in every aspect of our lives. Second, I'm talking to parents on this one. Let's make the countdown count. Every week we have an opportunity to pour into our students, into our kids. And I know that it it can be hard. There are weeks where it is just challenging. There are weeks when we feel like we're running on empty and we just don't have enough. But I want you to hear this this morning. You are not alone. We are in this together. And that... On those days when you're feeling low, and I, I've been there myself when my kids just say, oh, do you want to do this? And, and the easy answer is just to say, not right now or, or maybe later. And, and I have to say, no, I got to say yes in this moment because it's so meaningful to them. And the result of pouring into them week after week, church, it's worth it. 
Third, I want to talk to non-parents and grandparents in here. Let's invest in the next generation. Now, here comes my recruiting pitch a little bit. Now, don't just hear me trying to fill volunteer spots, because that's not what I'm trying to do. But I want to invite you into the biblical call to raise up the next generation. Now, you can do that in an official official volunteer capacity. We have all kinds of opportunities to come and serve at varying levels of commitment. From children's ministry, the nursery, to middle school, to high school. And you might be thinking, well, I don't know. How could I? You know, I wouldn't be able to relate. Wrong. That is the beauty of our God. Our God is so good that he can work through any willing heart to love a student to love a child. And when a child or a student accepts Jesus as their Lord and Savior, statistically, the chances of them continuing on are much greater than if they don't come to know Jesus in that time. So let us be a church that invests in the next generation. And finally, I'm thinking of families. Let's identify the five. Students, Man, maybe this is your time to meet with your parents, to sit down and talk about who five people are in your lives that could be that, those people for you. And here's a hint. It starts with mom and dad. There's your first two. So let's find the five. So that we can see, how, so we can not only see how much time we have left, but we can get serious about the time we have now. After this service, we're going to have an opportunity to serve our student ministries here as we are doing our annual fundraiser. So this year we're doing that through what's called the the giving wall. And so we have a wall with envelopes numbered 1 through 150. The idea is that every number represents the amount that you are able or willing to give. We also have envelopes that have question marks on them because we know that some of you may just feel led to give in whatever amount you have. We also have envelopes that are pre Posted and stamped so all you could take one home if you have to get out of here and just mail it in later. But I want you to hear this. We don't, we're not just asking for you to support us so we can do fun things in the student ministry department. Your financial investment goes to help students who, like me, needed to get to summer camp so they can hear who Jesus was. To get to mission trips where God can reveal a calling upon their life. It goes to scholarshipping our students to to these different events, retreats, and camps. It also goes to funding our summer intern, to giving those future leaders a place to serve within our ministry and church here. It also goes to investing in the training and equipping of our leaders, which hopefully are some of you here in the future. And so know whichever way you choose to support our youth this morning, whether through prayer, through time, or through finances, we are so grateful for your partnership. So may we be a church who will shema the shema and make the countdown count. Would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, Lord, thank you so much for who you are. God, thank you for being a God who understands that this time is limited Lord, that you want us to make every moment count. So, Lord, may we raise up the next generation as you have called us to do. May we bring them the Shema in a way that they will be able to then pass it along to their children. Father, it is never too late to reach out to the next generation. So, Father, may we use the time we have to love you well and to make sure that the next generation will do the same. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.